good morning. We welcome you to the Sarasota Alliance today. We're so glad that you're here. And it's a special day because uh, we have a special guest. He asked me not to call him a special guest uh, because he says he's just a brother uh, in the Lord, just like you. And we're, But uh, he has a great presentation. I'm going to bring uh, Joe Patron up. If you join us, would you give him a nice welcome uh, for our Alliance here? Now, actually, today is the first day I've met him. We've talked on the phone several times, and being sharp like I am, I immediately detected he was from Georgia or South Carolina. And uh, is that correct? You're all right there, Ron. Yeah, okay. He's putting on right now, okay. But uh, he, uh, he's going to tell us what he does and uh, tell us a little bit about himself in the process. But he is from Orchard Alliance. And we're going to explain what that's all about and uh, what that means. So, Joe, we are so glad to have you here today. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Ron. And so nice to work with a pastor who has a heart for the Lord's stewardship and, uh, and just a full understanding of it. So my, uh, my background, as you can tell, started in New York City uh, with a New York accent, of course. And um, right now, my wife and I, uh, Deborah, live in San Clemente, California, which is near San Diego. I feel like I'm turned. How's that? There we you go. Get to and swivel. Got, yeah, you I, get to I got to get one of those 3D screens where I can see everybody here. So um, yeah, so we live in near San Diego, coming up on 36 years of marriage, no kids, and. Um, Right now, uh, the role that I have with Orchard Alliance is to come alongside families and uh, provide that foundation, which is not provided in the financial planning, the estate planning area, be it you go to a Christian or non-Christian, and that's the spiritual foundation, uh, and provide counsel around that first, because the spiritual always comes before the legal and the mechanical, right? And then we help the family uh, prepare to go to an attorney, help them understand what the documents say and make sure they're drafted correctly and follow the plans. But even as important, we also help families uh, pay their fair amount of taxes and nothing more. Many families I talk to end up giving more to the federal government than they ever expected to give. So we help families understand how you can reallocate that to your family and to the charities you love. And if I use the word charity, it's a broad term. I'm speaking of things like your church, ministries, what God places in your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay, Joe, thank you so much. You're welcome. Very helpful information. And, and tax laws have really changed too, and that's a big impact as well. And that, that's exactly right. And okay. yeah, they change them every two, three years, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, being raised in a Christian home, I had the, the, the great privilege of a mother and father who uh, understood biblical principles of finance and they taught me those I mean from day one and as I've shared with you you know they started giving me an allowance when I was five years old and they always gave it to me on Sunday morning okay and my allowance was 50 cents and they always gave me a quarter and two dimes and one nickel okay and there was a reason uh, for that and but they taught me those biblical they modeled them and, and I'm just so thankful uh, for that, the way they did it. And my, my parents never had a big salary or anything, but they trusted God. They were generous with their giving. And I didn't know we were poor. We had 
we went on vacations, we had two cars, the three children, I have two siblings. My parents put us all three through college, private college with no student loans. And, and uh, they were just generous givers. They and found out that God was a provider. So I'm so blessed in that way. Was that your experience, Joe? You know, I, I can't say it was. If anything, it probably looks like this. <laughs> so I became a follower at the age of 43 because when I was raised uh, in a Roman Catholic type upbringing, you went to church with your father at that time, uh, my grandmother too, and then you never talked about God or money after that. So when I became a Christian in around the year 2000, uh, I was 43 years old, like I just mentioned, um, I was wrestling uh, with the Lord right after I was saved on this topic of money. And, um, you know, uh, whenever a pastor like yourself would talk about money, I'd say, there they go again, talking about money. That's all they do. They want my money, my money. And, and then after a while, as my love for the Word of God, which was very strong before I became a Christian, about that one-year period uh, led to becoming a Christian. I was in the Word so much, I just couldn't put the Bible down. But there were certain passages that made me grimace, and those passages uh, were talking about money. And my attitude toward money itself, I realized I had a problem. And I started asking a lot of questions, you know, and one of those questions was, well, do I give out of net or do I give out of gross? And we still hear that question in workshops, and I'm not belittling any question. They're all sound questions, right? Mm. Um, but the thing that I like to do is I like to approach it, okay, what are the principles that we can glean from Scripture, provided we, we do the right interpretation, and what's the right application? So what I do is I come alongside families and understand that we may have quite a few families that still are at this stage that are struggling with what, with what Scripture is saying. I'm still struggling, quite frankly, you know, with, with Scripture. The Holy Spirit's always convicting. But the good news is this is where, the, you know, the Holy Spirit has, has us, right? And we talked about this or we sang this in our first worship song in surrendering to the Lord, and that's being on our knees every single day. So for me, it was very different than yourself, Ron, not having that strong parental influence, which really does change things, you know, and it's, for me right now, it's a, a really a day-to-day -day process. Mm -hmm. All right, well, good. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, tell us more about, you know, your growth and how you have mat matured and are continuing to do that. Well, um, so I've been with uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance now for five years, and when I first started five years ago, I, I loved the church, and I loved our pastors, uh, but now that I've been to so many churches, spoken with so many pastors, I mean, I love our church so much and our pastors so much because I understand so much of what's going on right now compared to being an outsider looking in which I was before, but now that I go to these different churches and pastors are my friends and leadership board members are friends and I get to work with so many families, uh, I get to help them understand how to manage money on not just a day in, day out basis, because you could always go to Financial Peace or maybe Crown Financial Now Compass or one of these really good, you know, how do you handle a budget. But really, we need a, a bigger view than that. You know, we really do. So what I find 
that's very helpful is to start out with a vision. And that vision that I like to come alongside families when it comes to managing money is to let you know everyone know that in Scripture, and we'll get to this shortly, there is a plan. And this vision is taken from that plan that God has. And the vision is to see families hugging. And that means not just when mom and dad are with the Lord, but also when mom and dad are here, of course. Um, but also for churches and ministries to thrive for generations to come. Now, in my household, that was not the case at all for the reasons I mentioned. When my grandmother passed away, um, my mother and her twin sister were very close. They not only grew up together, they raised children together. I knew my aunt like a, a second mother almost. Mm. So they would always be talking with each other in New York City, and they were very close. My grandmother passes away, my mother gets more, and all of a sudden my aunt just goes ballistic, and she is no longer talking to my mother. They both pass away. They never spoke to each other again after my grandmother passed away. And so, and so because my grandmother didn't follow some very simple principles like say to my mother's sister, Grace, I'm thinking of giving Catherine this. Here are the reasons. What do you think? And if Grace would have said, I don't think that's fair. And if she would have been upset, that would have been the time to find out, right? Not after my grandmother goes to be where. So in any case, um, she never did that. She never took the time. And if she did, she probably would have left an equal distribution to each. So she wouldn't have created that conflict. Mm -hmm. But that conflict, you know, you may think it only happens in non-Christian families most of the time, but you'd be surprised. You know, I was at a church in a mountainous resort area, and this one older brother comes up to me uh, at seven o'clock at night, we were talking till like 9.30, and all of a sudden toward the end of the conversation, he starts telling me about him and his brother not talking with each other any longer. And I'm like, well, what's up with that? Well, he says, <clears throat> I was supposed to get mom's Eldorado and he took my Eldorado. Really? And can you imagine, they were probably just like, you know, those two little boys together at church, just like my mother and her twin sister, you know, very close, just shoulder to shoulder, right? Love each other, growing up in Christ. And now, because the younger brother took the Eldorado and the older brother found out it takes $20,000 legal fees to sue to get that Eldorado back, and the Eldorado is only worth $20,000. <laughs> Why bother, right? So in any case, the, the two brothers really haven't spoken since. Mm -hmm. So. Those types of stories, that's part of the motivating factor of why I do what I do, because the Christian church is operating by worldly principles in how we see inheritance and the biblical principles surrounding inheritance. It, you know, as a pastor, I come along those kinds of situations too, you know, where families are just at odds or their, their relationship is just damaged forever, you know, with yeah. an estate kind of yeah. situation like that. Um, my father passed away about a year and a half ago, and he had named me as executor because I lived in the same state. And I mean, that just seems so, so strange and awful to me. You know, my siblings were not fighting over, you know, what was left or anything yeah. like that. But that's the way it can be. Mm -hmm. And when, 
when we talk about managing managing mammy, that's good. When we talk about managing money, we ordinarily think of you know just the here and now while I'm alive. That's right. But what about for the future then? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, th there's there's a great story uh, to to lead into what you're saying. Uh, and that story is one of those parables which I can read over and over again. And I remember one of our pastors at the Alliance Church in Bakersfield, California, says the parables of Jesus are like a punch in the gut. <clears throat> and this parable is like a punch in the gut. And I like to get punched in the gut, you know. Um, so this is the parable of the rich fool. And you all remember how this story starts out, right? A, a brother comes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance. And what does Jesus say? He says, sure, I'll give you 50-50. Is that what he said? No. 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 He said, man, who made me an arbiter or judge over you? Whoa. And he called him man. That was not a friendly term. So here's this brother coming to Jesus. We're going, hey, here's a rabbi. Their job is to settle these family disputes. What does Jesus do? Radical. He says, I'm not here to settle worldly inheritances. I'm here for a ministry of reconciliation, right? And then he launches into the parable of the rich fool where this man has accumulated more and more. And he uses the words, my grain, my goods, my crops, right? Everything's my, my. So he ignored the fact that God is owner of all. Second thing, which is very interesting about this, Ron, is not only does he do that, and this is something I just noticed re recently, this is how scripture is alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, is I'm, I'm, I'm reading it again, and it says he was talking to himself. Now that I have this accumulation, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. Yeah. Well, one problem with that, back in that those times the culture was such that a man like him is part of a community very much like your church community here mm -hmm. and when you're part of a community like that you tend to know you know there's a child that has a special need or whatever they called it back then or there's a widow out there that needs something so rather than build bigger barns this man was devoid of not only taking counsel and being connected to a community of fellowship but he was also same time devoid of God's love in terms of caring for others mm. and then finally um, it, I, I like to quote the, the last line as uh, eat drink and be merry everybody remembers that right because that's what he said eat drink and be merry but actually uh, he says relax and if you look at those four words they're all commands he's commanding himself to relax to be, to to not, as you say, deprospect, to start thinking and planning with forethought. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Mm. So you see, the, the issue here is not only was he not planning prospectively and just saying relax, but at the same time, his attitude, there's nothing wrong with wealth. It was his attitude toward wealth and he didn't recognize God and his community. Yeah, because it, it was all for himself. It was all for himself. Yeah. And there's no even mention of his family, okay? Correct. He's really thinking only of himself. 
And there's no, in what you just said, there's no mention of a church family, yeah. people that God had placed him in their lives that, that he could meet needs, he could help people. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's, that, that, that parable is a little challenging, isn't it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Amen. All right. So we shouldn't care just about ourselves. But we should care about our family, obviously, but our church family as well. Yeah. Okay, why? Why is that important? Well, you, again, it's not because of my love for the church. I was uh, studying the book of Ephesians in really great detail uh, last year. Because typically I'll read through, do some study. But this time I really wanted to take time. I even memorized Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. If any of you know that, that's a difficult uh, passage to that's 200 words, run-on sentences. But the Lord used that time to really help me stop and meditate and understand that God has a plan. Because tucked into Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 are not only these spiritual blessings and eight or nine privileges that you and I have, right? But also the fact that God has a plan, an estate plan for us, if you want to call it. And, and it's a plan to go ahead and to gather, is the King James Version, gather all things in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So um, you may hear the, the word unite, all things in him. Uh, but the point is that the, the thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to use his church, and this is talked about in Ephesians 3, where God's manifold wisdom will be manifested through the church. So that's what he's going to use to accomplish this plan, this vision. So this ties directly to that vision I just shared with you, and that's families hugging and churches and ministries thriving for generations to come, which leads to the fact that, you know, we need a common view of inheritance, both within the church and within our family, if we're going to see this vision become real. Uh, so you're, you know, you're kind of saying that, you know, the world's view of finances and, and what we're taught, uh, whether it's in our family or a course or anything like that, is very different from the, from the biblical view. Very uh, different. Yeah. yeah, I see this. I see this in most families, maybe eight to nine families, one out of ten, two out of ten, maybe. Uh, I don't have to say anything or, you know, share any principles. They already get it. It's very rare because we we haven't been trained. Pastors haven't been trained in seminaries in this area, right? Yeah, right. Um, exactly. And families are just taking what their parents or grandparents taught them and what they're learning from the world, again, mm -hmm. from estate planners who won't talk about these things. Yeah. And the, and the Bible talks so much about finances and most of Jesus, or about a third, almost half of his parables, you know, mm -hmm. dealt with money too. And, and why? I mean, Jesus wasn't, he, he wasn't greedy. He wasn't asking for their money. That wasn't his motivation at all. But this is just such a huge part of our life. Amen. And, and spiritually, we're probably not going to be where we uh, ought to be and want to be unless we understand God's view of all the stuff he's given to us. That's right. That's right. And, you know, m maybe this is a good launching point into, you know, what you just said. There is a very different view so is it okay to share maybe three principles right now? Sure. Yeah. Is that okay yeah. to share three principles with you all? So um, these are the foundational principles. There are many more. But I'm sure you all know this one, right? It's 
ownership, right? God is owner of all. We've all heard that. We all know it. We've heard Psalm 24, verses 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord and all that it contains the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So we all know he not only owns things, but, you know, he's, he's also present. He, you know, we're not deists. He, read Job 38 through 42 if you want to learn the fear of God, uh, which takes you everything from how he created the foundation of the world to how he's active and he's sustaining everything today. But, you know, for me, I don't know if you, this has been your experience, to go from ownership, which I got in my mind, to yeah. ownership in my heart, God is owner of everything. That was, and that still is, you know, and it always will be something I'm going to have to get on my knees and say, Lord, I, I need to depend on you. So what I like to do when I work with families is give them something easy to remember. And that is, in Ephesians 1.5, it says, you and I were predestined for adoptions as sons and daughters for Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, right? So if he's also our father, right, then maybe we want to think of how he thinks and views time. So if a day is like a thousand years to him and he's given us a certain amount of material goods, what I find is many families look at, well, I'm going to look at the uh, grandchildren and they'll stop right at the grandchildren. So what I do is I use an illustration like a, a relay race. And what I'll say is, how many runners are in a relay race on one team? Four. Four, right. So this is just a small example, but if you think of passing what God has given to you, both the gospel as well as the material goods that God's given to you and how he's instructed you how to use what he's given you, we're talking about your great-great-grandchildren, right? And you're probably saying, they won't even know who I am. You're right. If they, if they're asked who you are, they won't know who you are. But you know what? God cares, and he knows who they are, and that's what really counts, doesn't it? Right? So yeah. if, if, if that's the case, and we're in this transferring of stewardship for generations, as you said, to come, then, okay, what is another guiding principle to help us? And that is dependency. So whenever we transfer anything, be it during life or after life, the priority of any transfer is someone depending on us. Like the rich fool, he didn't know anything about God. He didn't understand any of the dependency needs, right? But 1 Timothy 5.8 says, uh, he who does not provide for his own and those of his household is worse than an unbeliever. Amen. Now, you know, what that is saying, that word provide, is, it was very convicting for me when... Um, I realized my wife had hepatitis C. She's now cured, thank God, of her early stage cirrhosis and hep C. But I realized if my wife needs to stay home, I need to make enough of money so that she can rest and do whatever is needed to get better. That word provide, though, is used in Romans and in 1 Corinthians as well. And it's talking about planning prospectively, planning with forethought, looking ahead again. So that's what Paul is instructing and men mentoring Timothy to do, to not only take care of those under his household, but also for his own. Could be relatives, but also possibly 
the church, ministries, you know, whoever God's placed in their heart. And then finally, the last tr principle is this. If we're going to transfer something, is it because we heard something on the radio or somebody gave us a call or did you got this real compelling message, hey, we really need your help here? Or is it because it's prayerfully considered Jesus' own love is asking you to say, you know, Joe, you need to go ahead and talk to this person. You need to go ahead and, and give to this person. Is it Joe giving or is it Jesus' love working through me as a vessel who's giving? So as, you know, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, he says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor but do not have love, it really profits me nothing, right? And, you know, we all know John 3:16. for God so loved the world. You know, so God is a giver, just as Mike was saying in the offering, right? And we're just giving back what he's given to us. That's all. We're, we're just a vessel, and we're here to see Jesus' mission and great commission for this church as well be achieved. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do. And then this is the part that hurts, as you can tell. I'm an easily convicted person here. Uh, this is an accountability verse that um, uh, is from Parable of the Talents. I'm sure you all know this. As stewards, someday we're going to have to give an account. And it says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came, and he settled accounts with them. So there were three, the, the word many translations use as servants, but if you look at the Greek, it's really slave. There were three slaves, and one of them buried the talent, right? And we're gonna talk more about this in the workshop. This will be a summary slide. It'll be a very positive summary. Um, but the point of, of this accountability is really seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And in this verse, um, it talks about and on the day of judgment, and it's not a judgment on our salvation. Once we're saved, we're always saved. Once saved, always saved. Um, this has to do with um, two types of materials. You've got combustible wood and straw material, and you've got precious metals. Does everybody know this verse? <laughs> yeah. And the thing that really caught my attention is on this day of judgment, God's going to sweep a fire just like you would through a building, and you're going to have certain things burn up, like wood and straw. But certain things will survive the fire, like precious metals. Well, that wood and straw are very much like works and things we're giving, and they're not with Jesus' love. We feel like, you know, something out of guilt or out of pressure, or we're doing something because, you know, somebody told us we have to do it, but we're not prayerfully considering it and letting Jesus' love guide us. So all of our works are going to be examined, and what's going to happen on this day of judgment is we'll see what survives and what doesn't. And what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 is what doesn't survive the fire will be torn down. In other words, loss. There'll be no rewards. Very much like a uh, fruit inspector. You know, uh, a fruit inspector that goes to a pineapple plant, let's say, and, and the fancy uh, career term for anybody that's interested in this position and wants to apply is called an agricultural commodities inspector. How do you like that? Agricultural commodities inspector for fruit inspector. So they'll go to a plant, a pineapple plant, and if the plant is producing good fruit, 
what happens? It stays open. They continue to make profit. But if the plant is not producing good fruit, what happens? The plant shuts down and they lose profit. And that's the same type of thing that Jesus is talking to uh, mm -hmm. us about through Paul in mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Mm -hmm. So the, the accountability there is, is not something that should scare us or anything. It should motivate us toward these rewards that God has that we're just going to lay at, his, at Jesus' feet when we see him face to face, absent in the body, present with the Lord. We're all afraid to talk about those rewards, but they're gonna, it's going to be a great thing. And that's one of my prayers, as I was sharing with someone earlier, is that the Lord continues to take me out of my comfort zone. Because where I live in South Orange County, things are really comfortable there. Let me tell you something. And if you're not careful, you could easily blend in with the crowd. So I pray, and I ask my wife to pray, honey, we're too comfortable. Are we being sacrificial? And I don't want us to be pressured. And we don't make high-pressure decisions. We've got to do something now. We wait, and we pray, and we wait, and we pray, and when we see that opportunity, and the Lord continues to say, this is what I want you to give, this is what I want you to give, you know, it's really clear. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it's, it's the Lord working through me, and I'm going to be accountable to him for that yeah. Yeah. someday. And I'm yeah. looking forward to that day uh, when he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. So your role is helping people uh, plan for today but it's helping people plan for that day. When we die or when Jesus comes back for us, you know, if he yeah. comes back again, you know, before we, uh, we pass away ourselves, but it's coming. And uh, financial uh, planning for this day, the day we're in, and the day to come, yeah. That's right. Uh, I, as I mentioned, you know, I was just so blessed, you know, a parents who understood uh, uh, that God owned it all, and that he was a great and generous giver. And that when we become like that too, he really does work in our lives. So I learned those principles early. Then when I was in uh, mid-20s and uh, newly married, uh, a man in our church came and talked to me. And he actually worked for the organization that you work for. All right, name change, but he worked for it. And he said, Ron, he said, uh, you need to uh, start doing some estate planning. And I said, I don't have an estate. You know, either he's talking about a mansion, you know, or something like that. He said, well, uh, do you have a car? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, do you, have, do you have life insurance? I said, yeah, I had to buy that. You know, when I got married, you know, so yeah, I've got that. He said, do you have any savings at all? And I said, yeah, a little bit. He said, that's your estate. I said, you do have an estate. And I was so glad. And he sat down and he talked with me and he explained and and just that really was so helpful. I am so thankful for that man, Richard Juckstock, who talked to me about those things. And that has helped in planning, you know, throughout our life. Again, planning for today, planning for while I'm, I'm alive, okay. But hey, when, when I die, that's not the end. And heirs, but being part of the kingdom of God. And so I just praise God for that. And uh, the Alliance has been doing that for many years, helping people think about their estate, uh, doing very good things like, hey, you know, you don't have to pay that, that much money in tax. 
you can do something else with it. You can make sure it's safeguarded for your family. You can give to charity. You can give to church. You can give to missions, the Great Commission Fund, so that people around the world get to hear. So I just am so thankful for Orchard, Orchard Alliance, and the ministry they've had all these years, and for Joe being here with us today. And he's here today uh, not to pressure people to give money to the church, okay? He's here to help Christians understand biblical principles of finance and make wise decisions about this day and the day to come. And he's going to be doing a, a workshop here. We're going to dismiss in about uh, two or three minutes and doing a workshop. You want to tell you a little bit about that? Or? Yes. So, you know, this was the spiritual foundation, and, and what we do for families is the most important part of the estate is not your material things. It's your children, right? So we spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, and, and then we talk about your property. So we're going to be covering both of those areas. Uh, we're going to be covering tools and options that things your financial planner will probably, most financial planners will never tell you, uh, as well as uh, estate planners, including Christian estate planners. So w what I'm going to be sharing is the landmines that trip up families from young families to your 50s to your seniors. Uh, and going through all three of those. Um, and, and after the landmines, uh, if people want to uh, sign up for a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, I'll be here tomorrow uh, and doing appointments face-to-face. -face. We now do most of our appointments from a cost-effective standpoint using technology or the phone, depending on where our families are, and one-on-one -on -one through a phone appointment. And I'll have an online schedule available after the workshop as well. So uh, I look forward to seeing you. I hope you can make it. Thank you, for uh, Ron, first off, uh, for inviting uh, myself and Orchard Alliance into the church. It's a blessing to be here. It's been great getting to know uh, those I've seen and to see uh, a familiar face uh, that uh, I've gotten the uh, pleasure to know as well the past month or two. So thank you very much. And let me just say that there's no cost for the services, that the consultation that they provide. Uh, Alliance people, we want to be good stewards be faithful stewards and uh, that is very very helpful and so it is a ministry and again uh, we will dismiss the service uh, that workshop will start in about 10 minutes and there is information no matter what stage of life you're in if you're a young parent okay starting out uh, middle age or okay maybe you're retired now okay uh, he'll cover all of those life stages and the wise things that you should do during that time. And then, in, again, he's staying in Sarasota tomorrow. He'll be available for uh, personal consultation. Again, no charge for that. It's direction about how to be a good steward, faithful steward of all that God has blessed us with and given to us. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff. You're welcome. Praise God. Let's, uh, let's have a... Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He's a great guy. You'll enjoy talking to him and hearing from him. Uh, again, why? Uh, we want to be good stewards. God has blessed us. And God gave us all that we have. And when we use what God gives us for his honor and for his glory and for his kingdom, oh, God is so pleased. And God promises to meet all our needs. And he does. So uh, following God's principles uh, in this 
very, very important area of our life. It's just so important and so huge. I uh, hope you have a good week. Hope you can stay. Again, uh, there is the parenting class. They have a time frame that they've got to work uh, through. So that will be, but all the other classes will uh, just meet here today. And I hope you're going to have a good week. And I uh, hope you'll come back next week. If you don't have a church home, uh, we certainly encourage you to come. And uh, next week's kind of special uh, for us, especially as, uh, as most of you know, uh, our son Josh has been on a journey uh, for the past nine years. And next week he's going to be sharing about that. And so uh, we're looking forward to that as well. Would you stand? And let's pray. Oh God, you own it all. Uh, we, you own the universe. You made it. You run it. It doesn't run it on its own. You run it. You own this earth. You make the air. You send the rain. You grow the food. It all belongs to you. And you give it to us generously to enjoy, but to meet needs too. Needs of people around us, needs of people around the globe who need to hear the good news about Jesus. So God, you're a supremely generous giver. And when we learn that principle, then God, we become more and more like you. And you can give us more and more to use for your honor and glory. So Lord, in this one area of our life, the financial area of our life, you have great plans for us. And Lord, we want to follow your plans and do your will and serve you with all that you give to us. Oh God, we thank you. Thank you for what we've learned today, what we'll learn in this uh, second hour here because it has eternal value and significance, God. Now, dear Lord, we're going to go out into this world that you created, and we want to be the salt and light that you want us to be. We want to help others find Jesus as their Savior, forgive all their sins, and lead them to God's heaven. Lord, that's what you want to do in and through our lives, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.